Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cammy Black, uh, and joining me this week on a very a very special week in Scottish Rugby, uh, it's editor of the blog, Rory Baldwin. Hello. And we also have uh, back from um, a slight break, it's Ian Hay. Hello there. Um, this, we're going to talk about the squad announcement, which happened today as we record in a moment. Um, but first, we'll, we'll tell you how you can get in touch with us. You can get in touch with us by email podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. You can find us on um, Twitter at scottrugbyblog or at Cami Black. We're on Instagram and Facebook too. Um, you can also listen to us if you're on iTunes or Acast uh, or Spotify. And a few people have very kindly, after I begged last week, have left us some reviews. It's our first reviews in a while. Um, and after my failed experiment um, a couple of years ago where I, I just, I don't know, I was kind of encouraging people to send us one-star reviews for a laugh. Um, we don't want that anymore. Um, we want five-star reviews. So we've got three five-star reviews, and I'll read them out because I'm very appreciative of these people who got in touch. So uh, Graham Wa Graham, um, don't know if Wa is his middle name, uh, says, uh, good chat, even humorous at times. Which sounds like a bit of a backhanded compliment, but he gave us five stars, <laughs> so I'll take it. Um, Ulster Scott seventy nine said, "Great crack," and I love the jingles. Uh, Ulster Scott, you you are in. I very much like that. Um, he said, "So much more entertaining than the other Scottish rugby podcasts." We uh, we couldn't possibly comment. Um, Callum three two one, and he's got a, a number four in there in, in instead of an A, so it might be C four Lum three two one. I don't know. Uh, said, "Good lads." well-mediated, well-informed, and well-funny discussions. So, uh, yeah, give us your your, your, your five-star reviews. Um, don't, you don't know, you can go slightly lower. Please don't go any lower than four, at least, um, on iTunes. Um, it's quite nice to have up-to-date reviews so people know that we, we, are, we are now good and uh, sound issue-free because some of our older reviews uh, maybe reflect a, a bygone age when this we, we weren't as technologically advanced as we are now. Um, we will... Yeah, and uh, I think it's probably we should probably thank Callum for telling everyone his password as well. <laughs> if that is your password, Callum, please change it. <laughs> um, we will start, as we always do, with a bit of news. Um, the only news, I think, apart from the squad announcement, which is the big news we'll come on to in a moment, but the only news this week, I think, and, and you guys might correct me, is that uh, Callum Gibbon, uh, not Callum Gibbons, um, Ollie Kebble assigned with Glasgow till 2022. Two, Ian, is that right? Have I got the date right? With yes, that? it is. Yes, I, um, not sure, I think I'm not sure if he had one year left. It's a two-year extension, but till 2022. And also, this means that um, you know, God, if he's getting towards the, the end of his career, Jamie mm-hmm. Vassy, we're not sure about. Um, so well, is it Edinburgh now, isn't he? Yes, 
Um, well, this is the thing, he'll be sitting behind Schumann in the pecking order. That's why I thought the move was a bit pointless in the first place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Kebel will be Scottish qualified uh, yeah. next year. So, and you know, th- he, was, he was a wrecking ball in the, the Pro 14. I think as reported on this podcast, with a where, as an old Wes Doogie Donnelly, I think someone spoke to him or overheard him say that he does have Scottish ambitions. So um, it's not, we might touch it. Augustine Pichot may not approve, but we, we wholeheartedly approve of Ollie Kevill's Scottish ambitions, I think. Um, there's not, not really any other news um, this week. So much been quite quiet recently. Oh, well, apart from squad announcements. Apart from squad announcements. We'll come on to that in a moment. Um, but other other squads. Um, I suppose, yeah, Devin Turner. Yeah. Devin. That was that was scandal. Scandal. Shall we touch <laughs> we, we might pick up on that in Hands in the Rock, I think. That oh, may be so, a good yeah. maybe a good hands <laughs> in the rock, that one. Um we will what we're gonna do though is the other bit of news is next week, um on the tenth till my dates right, on the tenth to thirteenth of September, um in Hoyk, at the heart of Hoyk, which is a theatre. They do have theatres in Hoyk, apparently. Uh, who knew uh, they were so culturally advanced in Hoyk? Um, but they are pre- um, there is going to be a play about the life of Bill McLaren, written by Rob Robertson, who uh, many of you will know as the chief uh, rugby sports writer for the Scottish Daily Mail. Um, and last week, we caught up with Rob to find out how he went about writing the play. Okay, we're joined now by Scottish Daily Mail rugby correspondent uh, Rob Robertson. Uh, Not necessarily to talk about uh, the rugby that's happening now, but something else. But first of all, Rob, uh, we ask anybody that's on the podcast for the first time uh, to tell us what club socks they would wear if they were called up to the Barbarians. Uh, I'm a member of Royal High Rugby Club, so probably black and white. Uh, I was at school at Ross High in Trenent, so probably black and white. So black and white. Black and white. So you wouldn't even have to go for so. So even if you went for one on each, one on each foot, it would nobody would notice the difference. I wouldn't think so. No. In fact, unless we were colour blind, no. <laughs> um, the reason. All, all I'm saying that unless Ross High has changed their colours from 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 just after the millennium when William Webb Ellis was still playing when I was playing. <laughs> <laughs> it's been well. It's probably been about. 20 years since I played Ross High uh, with Berwick, so I, I, can't, possibly, right. I can't possibly comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, while back, definitely yeah. while back. Um, the reason we've got you on, Rob, uh, is because uh, you're other, the, the, aside from uh, being one of Scotland's top rugby journalists, you're also a playwright and you have written a play on the life of Bill McLaren. Um, how, how did the idea for the play come about? I just finished a, a football one called Journey to Gothenburg, which was based on the boat, the, the Sinclair Ferry, that went from Aberdeen to Gothenburg for the 1983 European Cup winners' cup final against Real Madrid that Aberdeen won, because I'd written um, or ghosted uh, Willie Miller's book. And I was just uh, the, the Aberdeen captain at the time, and I was, I was thinking what other things merit in the sporting world uh, such a coverage, such a new door opening to, to, to create uh, some work to, to, to honour, for want of a better word, something. And I just thought, Bill McLaren, now I know that I, this might make you even make you feel old, Cam, does the new generation, the younger kids nowadays, even know who Bill McLaren is? I'm not entirely convinced that growing up watching rugby, because for a generation, not just in Scotland, but in Wales and England, he was the voice of rugby. Ireland, he was the voice of rugby. Anywhere you go in the world, a certain generation knows the voice of Bill McLaren. And I know this is maybe a controversial topic for you and be interested in what you throw out there. Can any of your listeners tell me anybody who's come close to Bill McLaren through the years or 
alternately, and I have a funny feeling I know maybe know one or two of the answers, what commentators doing rugby nowadays really get up their noses of your listeners? I'm sure there's a few. So really, Bill McLaren's story was A, to honour the man, and B, he has such a rich story that people just do not know about. For instance, he, he was in the war, nearly died at Monte Cassino during the Second World War. He also nearly died of TB, had a Scotland trial, didn't make it because of his TB. And also there's the tragic poignancy of the death of his daughter Janie in her 40s when he was commentating at a rugby match. So he has had a very interesting life out, out of the commentary box that a lot of people don't realise. I'd like to think this play, it opens in Hoyt, plug, 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 September the 10th to the 13th, um, will uh, put him back in the limelight. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll maybe we'll touch on the commentary later on. I'm kind of, you mentioned there about what what varied and rich life he had, and I know um, I can't. I was trying to think earlier who stole, told the story. It might have been Peter Wright about the fact that when uh, Bill Bill McLaren went over to commentate for Scotland against Italy, the first away game, he said that's the first time he'd been back in Italy since the war. Um, how how do you go about structuring a play like that? Because obviously the, the the last play you did, there's a very clear sort of time frame on a boat journey to and from Gothenburg. But for something like this to cover someone's life, how, how did you go about structuring that? It was very, very, very tricky because the one thing I don't want a cheap attempt at somebody doing Bill McLaren because he's such an iconic voice and an iconic face, nobody's going to come close to it. So we have um, created uh, three or four sets on stage going through various stages of his life, obviously the, the early days in the Hoy, the war years, we've done that, and we have two actors playing, one playing young Bill and one playing old Bill near the, the, the near his, the end of his life, shall we say. So there are various scenes set up that goes through his life like this because this is the last thing I wanted or anybody wanted was somebody to try, try and do what people would ascertain as an impression of Bill because realistically, that's impossible to do. He was such an iconic figure and voice that that would have lessened the play. We wanted to tell his story to keep, keep him up in the, 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 the higher echelons of the Scottish public as the icon that he deserves to be. So we have staged it. There's different stages, and it's not just about him commentating. That's just a small part. That's the high parts of, obviously, him commentating on his brother-in-law, Alan Lawson, scoring... Oh, sorry, his brother-in-law, his, his son-in-law, rather, <laughs> Alan Lawson, scoring two tries against England. And if you listen to that, the commentary on that is you would no idea that he was his son-in-law. He's magnificent. And also the Tony Stanger try against England, where he... Um, Tony Stanger was one of his pupils in Hoyk. He was an ultimate professional. So realistically, getting back to your question, we tried to en encompass his whole life in various different sets. So there's a few stages where the sets have to be changed to take in the war years, his time in the sanatorium recovering from TB, and also, obviously, there has to be a, a commentary box in there somewhere with good old-fashioned Bill McLaren microphone as well. And is it the same actor playing him throughout, or is it different actors? Two different actors. There's a, a younger man playing him in the younger years when he was in the... Um, when he was growing up during his war years and then we change uh, into the later years for the later scenes when he was coming to the end when he made his last commentary against Wales the death of his daughter Janie the, the older actor plays him there because he was never really the same again in the last few acts uh, scenes rather when he um, gets the World Rugby Hall of Fame award it's the older actor there as well because he was a man who you know, life did take its toll on, on, on Bill McLaren because he'd gone through such a, a lot through the war and, as I was suggesting, TB. And nobody should lose a daughter in her, in her, in her, 50, in her 40s rather to cancer. 
it all took its toll. So we have a younger man playing him in the early years and an older man playing him in the later years as the, the play reaches its climax. It's interesting. I mean, that, that kind of thing you talk about Bill McLaren's life experiences and, and coming back to what you were touching on earlier about how you know how iconic he was as a commentator and you wonder how much that that feeds into that because of course nowadays you know modern commentators that the, the professionals that that's that's what they do but but you know bill mclaren was going back to school to teach gym you know he'd, he'd been in the war so you wonder how much that kind of that grounding that he had sort of informs his it informed his commentary yeah absolutely i, I think it made him fair i think he would have kittens nowadays at some of the um Bias is that the right word or over enthusiastic commentary uh, that that people give? He was always a fair man. Some people nowadays might say he was maybe too fair and not controversial enough in an era where controversy sells. But as I said, when his former pupil Tony Stanger scored against England, he kept his cool. When his son-in-law Alan Lawson scored against England, he kept his cool. He did have a sense of fair play. He was he was a fiercely proud Scot. But realistically, I think seeing so much carnage in the Second World War around Monte Cassino, almost dying himself um, of TB, it was something as well. He had a sense of life. You realise, when he said things like, a day out of hoik is a day wasted, what he really meant was, a day away from the family is a day wasted. He wasn't one of these guys who felt you should work too Well, he always did work hard, but he was also a man who realised that you know you don't get in your gravestone you know, I wish I worked too hard. I, I wish I'd worked harder. It's always I wish I'd spent a little more time with my family and my friends. Um, so realistically, he, I'd like to think he had his, his. He had things in the right order in his life, and that showed through in his, his rugby commentary. From the point of view, he was always fair, regardless of who was playing and who was who Scotland were playing against as well. You know, the fact he he, he's, he was the voice of rugby for so many decades. And that the English never took exception to him or the Irish or the Welsh or MD like that shows how fair he was. Nowadays, if you look at it, you've got English commentators doing south. You've got John Inverdale and um, Jeremy Guscott. Uh, up here, you've got John Beatty. Bill did everything. He didn't really have a breakaway commentary team down there because he was so respected from everybody and, and kept kept his cool under difficult situations. It, to me, he's up there in the pantheon of, of great, great, commentators of any sport I'd be interested to see what your listeners think as well but you know you, you get Peter O'Sullivan in, in, in racing and I, I think you have Bill McLaren in, in rugby, football well, Scotland, Archie McPherson and uh, Arthur Montford you know, you, you have top people in, in top, top situations David Coleman in athletics there's so many of them but there's always one name that, remember, that you remember uh, that links you with rugby. And I like to think people over a certain age, it's always Bill McLaren. And I like to think this play will also open the world of Bill McLaren to a new generation. And they'll maybe go back and listen to some of his commentaries and realise how, how to become a great commentator. Yeah, I mean, I was listening, there was a, a, a podcast we're, we're loosely associated with down in, uh, down, down in England, the Blood and Mud podcast, and they were speaking to Andrew Cotter, who I think's probably, I mean, this is probably, again, the Scottish bias coming in, but I think he's probably one of the, uh, for, for me, one of the, the, the commentators that, that not it comes closest, I think, in terms of his yeah. his, his unbiased and his, his kind of grounding. 
but from what he was saying, that that comes from him commentating on a wealth of other sports. And he was almost saying as well, the fact that he gets accused by Scottish fans of being anti-Scottish is for him, you know, <laughs> the, the yeah. test of, of how unbiased you are. Um, I mean, Rob, I, I don't want to age you here, but were, were, you, uh, were you around at the, towards the end of Bill McClan's career? Did you get a chance to meet him? Only met him a couple of times, but no, he wasn't a friend. I would never call him a friend. I met him a few times. Uh, in press conferences and things but uh, you know the TV people usually go and do different things and he really didn't really turn up at too many of these press conferences he was usually able to, to have uh, instant access to the coaches whenever he liked and he was a quiet man anyway I mean he did his research as only he could do his research so realistically he really didn't need to um, deal with the riffraff like me terribly much <laughs> back when so you know I uh, He's very much his own man, and a man who knew what he wanted, and he knew rugby. And it's interesting when you mentioned there Andrew Cotter. It's funny, it's something I've, I've, I've never thought about before, Cam, but you're absolutely right. I would argue, just sitting here, it's the first thing that's come to mind, I would argue that Andrew Cotter is probably as closest to Bill as you could get, because he's not biased, straightforward, got a, and he's also got a bit of humour in his commentary, which, which Bill's showed through his great phrases. Andrew's is through his dry sense of humour. So I think that's a very, very good comparison of the modern age. I, I would certainly, you put that idea in my head, I think you're right that Andrew Cotter is close to Bill McLaren as you can be. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that comes down to not being a former player as well. You know, having that kind of, that, that, that slight detachment. I know, you know, like I said, Bill McLaren had a, had trials for Scotland but, but, but didn't make it because of the TB. But that almost sort of, if, if you're... I know Bill McLaren got close to a lot of players through, you know, like hanging around, with, giving out hoik balls, trying yeah. to get the inside gen. Um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of players, you know, not not Scottish players, across, you know, internationally sort of talking about that and how, how well he was able to build a rapport. And you wonder how much that comes from having that detachment of, of not being a former player. Yeah, it's a fine line. I, I think that's what made him a good commentator because he could have that detachment. Um, he certainly wasn't a fan with a typewriter or a... a, a a, a microphone which is good which I think is always the danger if you're a former player I mean Brian Moore's the exception to that but a lot of players are just you know fans with microphones or alternately fans who are commentating on their mates which I, I think is pointless absolutely pointless where I think the detachment for Bill came from the fact that he had he respected rugby players but I don't think he was too chummy with them all which allowed him to, to they stand back a wee bit, whereas nowadays, you know, far too many players are too pally and say, oh, he would be disappointed with that after he misses a kick in front of goal or something, whereas you and I will be at home shouting our heads <laughs> off, expletive, saying how, in it, you know, you, you, they, they make too many excuses, whereas Bill didn't have to make any excuses because he didn't really criticise too much. He was constructive in his criticisms. Yeah. And what was it always the intention to put the play on in Hoyk then? Yeah, I think it's funny because we were thinking, where could you put it? Realistically, there's no real place to put it for its premiere apart from Hoyk. Um, for a simple point of view, where else? I mean, Bill McLaren, Hoyk, they go together. So it's four nights in Hoyk, 10th to the 13th September, starting on the Tuesday the 10th. Um, can I plug it just now? Is that all right? You can. Well, I've got, I've got it. So it's on at the heart of Hoyk between the 10th and the 13th September. Performances yes. at 7.30. You've got two performances at 2.30 on the 12th and the 13th. Is that right? Uh, yeah, the, yes, the Thursday and the Friday, yes. And, and uh, you can buy your tickets in person at the heart of Hoyk online at www.bit.ly. Uh, no, you can also go to heartofhoyk.co.uk. 
and find yeah, it on the yeah. listings there. And there's there's an option to buy it. I had a, a wee check earlier, and it's between yeah. tickets between ten and sixteen pounds, which is a, which is a very good fair price, I think. For the yeah, theory. and also you, you you'll have the great chance. Of, uh, yeah, I know for a fact that Jim Telfer's got a ticket. Jim Rennick already. Um, uh, I think uh, John Rutherford's going as well. Uh, there's quite a few former players who will be there. Uh, as well on various nights. I don't know what nights they're going, but I know certainly know Jim Telfer's going, uh, and Jim Rennick's going, and uh, John Rutherford looks like he's going as well. So uh, you never know that you, you might enjoy meeting the players more than you like the play. But as long as you come along, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing about the borders as well. Because um, I'm from Selkirk originally. Just just how close knit it is, and how these guys are just you know they're just another guy for the town. You know, outside of the borders, they might seem like these big names, but. You know, Jim Telfer, I think, you know, was still in, still involved in the Melrose youth set up until, I think, about a year ago or something, oh, and, you know. Uh, no, you're absolutely spot on. They are just looked on like that. They're just, just guys, you know. I'm sure when they turn up, I'll be more excited to see them than anybody from Hoyk or, or, or Melrose or Kelso or whatever. They'll just be talking to them like, you know, what jank type thing, whereas, uh, you know, I, I think that's a problem that in a lot of people in Scotland, just the way we are in Scotland and maybe in the borders as well, you know, we, we've got legends of the game around on our corner, but, you know, our feet are on the ground and these guys' feet are on the ground as well because we don't really give them much of a choice in the matter. <laughs> uh, it's only later on in their life that re- you realise, oh, wait a minute, what a guy that was. You know, it's certainly Telford and Rennick's cases and John Rutherford for, to me, probably the greatest ever Scottish 10 ever. Yeah. Um, so you know you, you, these guys will will all be there. So um, even if you just hang about the, uh, the the reception area, you might see one of them if you don't want them at the play. Yeah, and and what kind of feedback have you had from the McLaren family? Because I know they they've been involved with. Uh, well, they've been very very. Uh, to be honest, I wouldn't have done it without them. If they had said no, don't fancy this in the slightest, I wouldn't have touched this with a barge pole. I wouldn't have started this. So before I started, that, I went to them and said, "Listen, I'm thinking of doing a play on Bill. What do you think? They've been brilliant. They've opened up the archive to us." Uh, we've got all the uh, all of his stuff. We've got some of his stuff um, from them, from the house. Uh, they've been absolutely fantastic over the whole thing, and um, yeah, they've been great. I, I can't praise them highly enough for the, uh, the amount of support they've given us, which is great. And um, you know, their names are uh, synonymous with Bill McLaren, and hopefully, uh, you know, the Bill McLaren Foundation poster is on the uh, so his logo's on the poster for the for the, the play as well so you know hopefully it'll go do well and it, hopefully it raises their profile as well because they do a ton of good work as well yeah well rob that's been really great speaking to you I wish you all the best for the play hopefully it's a success hopefully it'll uh we'll, we'll see it on tour as well I ho- well hopefully hopefully it could be done in leeds london who knows could be anywhere with a bit of luck but certainly there'd be an interest from down south already because he's such an iconic figure that um his name will travel and hopefully the play will as well uh, an interesting chat with uh, Rob there, guys. Um, one question that he posed and we posed um, earlier this week on the on Twitter uh, is: Is there anybody you think that kind of gets close to Bill McLaren nowadays in terms of commentary? I mean, I went with I went with Andrew Cotter, and I think I think I talked Rob round on that one. Anybody else for you, Rory? Um, I suppose R- Rory Lawson is genetically close to Bill McLaren. In terms of DNA, <laughs> I think Ian Wallace actually gave a shout from him. I think I mean it's early days, but I... yeah, yeah, I think he, I think he's a he's a he's a decent decent commentator. I mean it's it's a it's a tricky thing because these days the role is is slightly different. Um, and if you started coming out with things about you know giraffes or rhinoceroses or border terriers or things, people would just say well, you're just aping Bill McLaren. So. Um, it's uh, 
it's a tr- it's a tricky one to see, see to see the will will we see the like again to uh, paraphrase the national anthem. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I would say that uh, the that um, Cotter and Rory Lost are probably my two favourite Scottish ones. Although we should give a mention to up and coming star Jamie Lyle, formerly of this parish. Of course, yes, of course, Jamie. Um, does does a bit of rugby here and there. Yeah, um, Ian. Anyone for you that stands out? Um, no, I thought I think most are pretty bad, but the Cotter's <laughs> not too bad. Um, Nick Mullins, Nick Mullins is all right. I quite like him. Uh, he's got a decent sense of humour, um, and he's 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 not overly parochial, unlike certain subscription channels. Yes. Uh, you I know, think um, run by an Irish company, perhaps. We had um, so um, we had a few on uh, Twitter when we we asked this question. Doug the prop said he agreed with Andrew Cotter, and he put forward Nick Mullins. Um, Ian Wallace said that listening to Rory Lawson is is very good. Um, Paul Mitchell, who who himself is a commentator, he rates uh, Nick Mullins quite highly. He said there's no one even remotely close. Uh, although I would say he's wrong because I, I think Andrew Cotter is 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 probably up there. Um, Ian Wheeler went with Andrew Cotter as well. Said he's probably better on the golf, um, but since golf is no longer on the council telly, I can't watch it. Um, the um, Ian Wheeler also pointed with something Rob touched on. Said that um, with Bill McLaren, it's not the commentary but the legacy left in Hoyk, and um, the fact they commentated on Tony Stranger, um, Tony Stranger, co- you know, scoring a try when he was somebody that he'd coached as a youngster. Um, you don't see that that much these days. Um, Grand Slam model. Yeah. Uh, Ian Kay got in touch to say Eddie Butler. And yeah. before I had time to reply, I said, ha ha, not really. <laughs> so, um, That's right. I, he, I, he had a special mention in my brief notes that I managed to uh, rattle up um, for bad things. Yeah. Um, so it's like when he's doing French names, he tries to adopt a sort of semi-French accent. No. But he doesn't do that with any other nation. <laughs> um, uh, just because I wanted to get this dig in for this TV show, right? So he wouldn't try a Scottish accent, but even if he did, it wouldn't be as bad as the guy that's on Peaky Blinders. Have you seen that? No, I'm not. No, it's, it's, oh, it's horrendous. It's so bad. It's like, uh, he's an Irish guy. It's, it's one of the Gleeson clan, and he's trying to do, he's he's a member of the Billy Boys. Uh, weren't weren't there two, were, were, wasn't one of the Gleesons in Braveheart? Uh, yes, think, uh, uh, Brendan. Yeah, there's a great Billy Conley joke, isn't there? That he knew he wasn't a serious actor when they didn't ask him to be in Braveheart, but they asked loads of Irish <laughs> yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah, and well, you know, it's all created by an Australian man. Yes, well, there you go. Um, and, having yeah. having seen his episode of Columbo, it's probably a fair comment, though. <laughs> which or oh, Billy Conley's episode? I thought you were going to say um, yeah. Mel Gibson's episode, which I hadn't seen. But yeah, no, no that that, that that is fair comment. Um, is one of the worst episodes. I'm a big Columbo fan. One of the worst episodes ever. Um. We should also give a very quick shout out to Andy N on the comments on last week's podcast, who who has suggested this one. We're planning an away trip to sail for the European Championship, uh, and and Andy suggested that we have a soundtrack, and this is what Andy suggested. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> it's a bit of Orinoco flow. Um, so, so we're well up for that, Andy. And so, thank you very much for that suggestion. Um, I'll get that turned into some sort of jingle in time for us actually going um, to to sail away, sail away, sail away. Um, I'll, I'll, Ian, get used to it. That's that's being played 
every episode of the podcast between now and the 8th of January, and maybe even afterwards. I'll get, oh, my mum used to listen to Enya. Oh, God, bring back so many bad memories <laughs> um, of, of AOR. Shall we? Shall we turn to business anyway? We've 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 made people hang on long enough. It's kind of building up to this a bit, like it's a bit like a bit of a podcast. Um, what is it? The Sting used to do with his sex um, tantric, tantric, yeah, tantric bit of tantric podcasting where I'm building building slowly <laughs> up to the climax of the squad announcement. Um, for those, if, if, it was ta- if it's tantric, would would we not just stop it now and then they'd have to come back next week? <laughs> yes. <laughs> But um, yeah, but everyone already. Well, in fact, it's the world's worst kept secret. Even I, I don't know, it's up there with Ireland's worst kept secret in terms of um, it was so leaky that you have to hope that the Scottish defence isn't as leaky as this. Um, the Scottish squad announcement, which everybody seemed to know about before it actually happened, um, did take place today at Linlithgow Castle. Um, as predicted by us, we did two squads, didn't we, Rory? And we had a, a, a yeah. sort of our preferred squad on the blog, and then one that we predicted Townsend would choose. And we, were we thirty-one from thirty-one, Rory? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, the preferred squad wasn't even that far away. The, I mean, the probably the, the the two that we we were when we were sort of talking about it. There, were, I mean, there was a, a bit of debate, um, but we probably would have swapped out maybe. Um, Ryan Wilson for either um, Matt Fagerson or Magnus Bradbury had to be fit, and there was there was a fair amount of people arguing for uh, Rory Hutchinson to get in ahead of Chris mm. Harris. Um, other than that, our our kind of preferred squad was pretty much the same. I mean, once Scott, uh, once uh, Sam Skinner, sorry, got injured, it was it, it seemed fairly straightforward. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of possibilities, you know, with Ireland on, and some other squads only having two scrum halves. People were saying, well, he's only going to take two scrum halves, then he can get an extra centre or an extra back row. And then we don't have to, you know, leave Hugh Jones behind or um, or Fagerson or Bradbury, you know, can stick them all in. Um, but there didn't seem to be, you know, if, if you look at this, the teams that Townsend's picked in, in recent years, Pete Horn and Ryan Wilson clearly have their, their place in his heart. And... Uh, they always seemed fairly, uh, high, fairly good, good possibilities to travel, um, despite you know the relative merits of some of the other guys in there. Yeah, it's interesting. I think while well, I was listening to the Scottish, the official Scottish Rugby podcast, as they call themselves, Boo Hiss, um, put out a wee twelve-minute podcast tonight, and I was listening to it on the way home. And Townsend was actually saying at the start of the summer tests, they were looking at an eighteen-thirteen split. Okay. Um, that Danny that was Danny Wilson's preferred option, and and the main focus is on that short turnaround. That you have to effectively have two squads to deal with that. And do you take an extra back to cover it, or do you take an extra forward to yeah. as cover? And when they've sat down and ri- not that I believe that they sat down and they knew that sat down and came up with the squad literally at the weekend I think they probably had this in their minds for a while but that they came down on the 17-14 split quite late on which is quite interesting um, and I think it's just that turnaround between is it the Russia game and Japan? Yeah 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 It's four days I think Yeah So I mean you'd really be looking at yeah your, your dirt trackers if you like to to play to play that that game um, I think it would be interesting to see them this weekend as well, um, but who knows what sort of team we'll see this weekend. And now, uh, I mean, I mean, Ian, do you think people are naive? I mean, I, well, 
I'm asking this question, slightly loaded question, because I think people are naive to, to, to think that it was all going to come down to the warm-up and the summer tests. I mean, this is, he was always, Townsend and the coaches were always going to take account of form over the last two seasons. It was never going to come down to these last three, four games, was it? Uh, no, absolutely not. Um, obviously, there's your, your shoe-ins who are consistently good, your Hawks, um, Russell, Seymour, all that kind of thing. Um Obviously, centre and back row, uh, that's where there was probably the toughest toughest fight. Um, uh, I mean, one thing, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that Strauss even got as much time as he did, mm. uh, because I, I never thought he was really going to be an option. Do you um, think that, I mean, are we wondering with the Strauss, do you think that was down to the injury to Bradbury? Because there was the early releases from the squad, wasn't there, when they went from 42 to 39 or whatever it was, when they dropped Graham and Pergos and Greg. Greg and Kyle Steen. Um, yeah, do you think yeah, that think was... maybe Strauss might have gone if it if Bradbury been fit? Yeah, he was probably just you know like um, Tim Swinson got drafted in uh, as we were saying just for like scrummaging practices, practice and holding tackle bags, um, just making up numbers in the pack. You would have thought, but then he he played against France and he got a few minutes against Georgia. Uh, but obviously, you know, if, well, if if they knew that, you would think they would know that Bradbury wouldn't be fit enough to play any part. In the three games, they pretty much announced that about Fraser Brown mm. and Johnny Gray. We know has a hamstring knock, um, but Johnny Gray is one of those students. So, would it have been worth? I can't really think of who else would possibly be an eight. But um, yeah, could they've maybe brought somebody else into the squad? Adam Ash, for example. Actually, Adam Ash. Uh, when Wilson and Cole were away for the Six Nations, it was uh, Glasgow were playing a back row of. Uh, Ash, Blaine's, uh, Blaine's Gibbons, and uh, Matt Fagerson, and they they were a great combination. Yeah, um, he, he got got a, got a few big results. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. Do you think, Rory, that this is all this squad's always been on the cards when you think about the form over the last two years? And you think, I mean, when when you look at the fact that some players only played the France game and then were released. Not released, but allowed to sort of you know go off. You know, you see Pete Horn walking around Loch Lomond and things like that when other other guys are lining up against Georgia. Do you, do you think that Townsend always kind of had the bones or even the bulk of his squad selected, and this was just about working out who could step up if needs be, and giving guys like Barkley who hadn't played an awful lot sort of time time conditioning wise. Yeah, I mean, I think I think given. Given the group, the group that he had, he probably had a pretty good idea of the the fifteen that he wants to start against Ireland if everyone was fit. And it was just in in a lot of cases, you know, we know Finn Russell's going, we know Greg Lado's going, we know Hamish Watson's going. So for them, it was a case of you know maybe giving them a couple of games to get rid of that preseason rustiness. But um, with some of the other ones, it was more about you know it was giving them a chance to. To see if they, you know, if they could fit in, how they would react to match day situations and stuff. But with some of them, you get the sense that, to a certain extent, he he may have made up his mind a while ago. You know, the likes of, say, Blade Thompson or Duncan Taylor, who we haven't seen that much of. Um, but yet, you know, you always kind of felt that those were the sort of, especially once again, once Skinner was injured, and there was, a, you know, Thompson gives you a little bit of versatility with cover in the second row. There was always that kind of sense that. He maybe had seen something in in him that he liked and thought would fit in, um, and then there's you know there's the other guys like Horn and, and Wilson that we've talked about who are 
who are clearly you know squad guys who've been in and around the squad for a long time, um, you know, won't grumble if they get stuck on the bench. Um, Wilson in particular, you know, he's usually popular with the other players. It, that's that's a very important thing to take into account as well because there's you know there's only thirty one of you so there's not much hiding space in terms of training and socialising and things once you're out over there so you need guys that that uh, everyone gets on with um, you know Barkley again Barkley and Hogg you could see you know those first that kind of leadership group that came out first in the squad announcement um, Hogg Barkley McAnally who's the captain obviously um, Greg the you know there's that experienced core. Um, and there are maybe some figures that were in around, you know, guys like Hutchinson, who are undeniably in, in good form. Um, but he, he maybe just felt that actually he wanted as much experience in in there as he as he could, which would maybe justify a few of the, the more sort of uh, less form based picks, say, like like Thompson or, or Taylor. Yeah, I mean, it's in, again, listen to that podcast that the official one put out tonight, Ian. They, Townsend was saying it's not really so important as to who's played a World Cup before because the last World Cup was in England. So the, the, there wasn't, the, it wasn't the same in terms of tournament rugby because they were somewhere very familiar. Although they, you know, they did do camps and they weren't based up in Scotland. They did go and base themselves in, I think, Leeds and Newcastle. It, it, this is a very different experience, though, isn't it? It's going away somewhere, and and what was interesting is Dan said the bulk of that squad went on tour to Japan two years ago, and do you think that's that's played a little part of it in it as well? Well, Rich is huge owns can be a little <laughs> bit more grieved. Um, uh, I don't know what else was you know if they have spent that much time together, but you know. I don't think it's the same as maybe a Lions tour where you're drawing in players from all over the shop who haven't spent a lot of time together. You know, Scotland, we've only got the two professional teams and maybe some exiles, but obviously they've made their way up through, um, you know, through the Scottish pro clubs. So there's already that familiarity feel and they've spent a lot of time together. Um, maybe not as long as period of times, but um, I think... You know, they, they know each other by now. I don't think it's... Well, for me, I don't think it should be like that much uh, a, a part of it, uh, as opposed to um, who's who's in form. Yeah. That's um, just because I'm still annoyed about Matt Fagerson not getting picked. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's look at the forwards then. So in the forwards, we've got Simon Bergen, Alan Dell, Xander Fagerson, WP Nell, Gordon Reid, Fraser Brown, Stuart McAnally, captain, and we'll touch on that in a minute. George Turner, Scott Cummings, Grant Gilchrist, Johnny Gray, Ben Toulis, John Barkley, Jamie Ritchie, Blade Thompson, Hamish Watson, and Ryan Wilson. Um, I mean, out of that, probably the 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 one that might cause the most upset, not justifiably so, I would say, but the one that people would throw their arms up in the air and say who who he would be, Blade Thompson. But is there anybody? I mean, you talk about Matt Ferguson there, uh, Ian, and he, and he had a cracking game on. On Saturday, it, who who would you swap out from then in that that group? Um, to be honest, and even though you guys just mentioned about how sort of valued he is by other squad members, uh, he kept Brian Wilson at the Glasgow team. He kept him out for the final. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, outperformed him. Um, and you know, Fagerson's hungry. You know, he, he's a young man. He's you know he's with a bright future ahead of him, he's still going to have plenty of time to go to the next World Cup or whatever unless he gets sort of Duncan Taylor injury kind of levels um, and I do just feel that 
Ferguson's a, a better player, and I would hope and think that there's enough other characters or whatever to to keep the squad happy and, and cohesive. You know, look at John Barkley, the way he deals with Sherlock. Yeah. Um, well, interestingly enough, I'm just having a wee, wee look at Twitter and uh, our pal Kevin has posted a useful stat regarding writing Wilson to the, the, the other podcast. So I'm just going to intercept it and therefore make it useless for broadcast. Um, <laughs> Good work. Sabotage. Here's the Ryan Wilson stat for you. Since Ryan's debut in 2013, Scotland have won 65% of the games that he has started, but only 34% of the games that he has not started. I wouldn't say that's an overwhelming stat, but no. it certainly shows that he has been valuable in some of the some of the victories. Um, I think I... that maybe the same goes for Hornums, who will come on to that later. Yeah. But, um, I think... Know, when, when they're good for Scotland, they're very good. Yes. But, not but when they're bad... That people like... oh, sorry on you again. No, you go in. Well, I was going to say, but then you have to remember that the likes of Fagerson and Hutchinson, who by all accounts had a great season. And, uh, you know, we, I'm a fan of Pete Horn, um, apart from his standoff, as we know. Um, but I, I would have preferred to take Hutchinson because, like... Um, Al said in our little sort of private podcast members chat, um, I, I feel it's maybe a bit of a conservative selection. Maybe there should be a, an element of the unknown, um, and seemingly those those guys were in really good form. Well, yeah. the Fagerson I definitely know was. I didn't see a lot of Hutchinson, but mm. um, you know he looked he looked good when he played. So, you know that game against France when we get horsed, he was one of the few bright spots. Um, and scored two tries on Saturday, so yeah. I suppose it comes like down. A young Hugh Jones. I suppose, yeah, an, an, un, an unencumbered <laughs> Hugh Jones. Um, I suppose it comes down to is what I think you made a good point early, Rory, in, um, on 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 Twitter when you were saying. I think there has to be a certain amount of experience within a squad. You can't. You you have to have balance within it somewhere. You can't just turn up with. 31 bolters based on form and trust that 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 form will see them through against big opposition it's you, you need some experienced heads in there yeah um it was i mean the my comment earlier was it was based on some articles that somebody had come out with i can't remember where it was it was years sorry probably the last around the time of the last one but it was basically talking about how many you know the sort of number of caps all the the different uh, World Cup winning sides of have. Um, I mean, looking at them, I've just found a find a thing on the Telegraph website. They're all well over the the five sides that have won the Rugby World Cup. They're all well over six hundred caps mm. in total. Average average age twenty seven. So I mean, my point wasn't that you can't have young guys with not very few caps, but they can't make up, you know, most of your team. You yeah, need, you need them. Um, I think even uh, even. Better call Soul picked up on it. Um, yes, well, I was going to. I, I was trying. We I didn't have time to get my Better Call Soul um, jingle that I had the other week <laughs> queued up. I haven't had time to do it this week, but we'll get, we'll get at that in future because he, he he seems to be uh, quite keen to reply to our tweets. But he was pointing out, I think, that Graham Shield and Doddy Weir were in the nineteen ninety one squad. But then Alan McDonald made a very good point and said, "Well, the nineteen ninety one squad had a lot more players in the equivalent of the forty cap bracket, yeah. which seems to be seen as vital in the Rugby World Cup." Um, which I think David's all then accepted, Do you know, and I think that's I think yeah, that's I, mean, the, I think that that was kind of where I was where I was going going with it. It's not that you can't have uh, you know young guys that are that are banging form, but 
history tells us that the teams that uh, that have been successful in the tournament are, you know, the bulk of that is experienced. Maybe more than just the core, it's most of the guys have got got a lot of experience. Yeah, and we have to we have to assume, I guess, that that Townsend and the coaches have seen something in Blade Thompson in training that puts him ahead of Bradbury and Ferguson that he that, that, and, and I suppose that's where the versatility comes into play in that, that Ferguson and Bradbury can cover back grow but then Tom with with the loss of Skinner all of a sudden Blade Thompson's versatility becomes much more important. Yeah, well I would have thought um one of uh well Gilchrist and Gray I think were definite and then it was between Toulouse who probably was a little bit ahead of the pecking order in Cummings I think now that Skinner went that's why Cummings is in um, Thompson he's not played a lot of lock um, so I think if Skinner had been selected as one of the four locks rather than Tullis or Cummings we could have maybe got a Bradbury or Fagerson in um, but, but with regards to what Rory was saying there about experience um, you know, we, we might not have a lot of caps but a lot of our players, guys like Nell uh, Johnson, Blade Thompson, those guys aren't young, so they have experience. It's just because they had to go through the three-year mm-hmm. residency rule. Um, so, but then you, you look at the, I mean, the, the leadership group that came out first up. You've got uh, McAnally, uh, was that? Was he on forty caps or something? Uh, John Barkley's on over sixty. Blade Law, I think, is on seventy-three. Hogg, uh, I think they said he was on sixty-seven. Um, and then after that, you had guys like Maitland and Finn Russell. You know, um, these, these are the sort of experienced guys who've been around a bit. But then other guys, Johnson now seems to be integral. Taylor, he's just been injured all the time, <laughs> um, but he's very experienced. Um, so you know, there there is experienced older heads who've played a lot of rugby uh, and played in big. I mean, you forget Duncan Taylor's played in big finals as well, and that's easy to overlook the the impact that that will have as well. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you think, I mean, just the simple fact that he's nicknamed a team like Saracens is super dunk because yeah. they rate him so highly. Um, he, he is a fabulous player, but he just seems to be up there amongst the unluckiest of the unlucky in terms of injuries. Shall we talk? We, we had a great chat earlier. What What's your prediction, Ian, for the most ridiculous way that Duncan Taylor is likely to do injure himself this World Cup? I mean, it seems it was a chucking it down. Uh, at the conference, they were speeding players up. Gregor Townsend had to like speed up his uh, talking because the players were just coming down too quickly. Um, so I was just sure that Ryan Wilson was making joke about slipping on the sort of platform they had set up for him. I was like, Duncan Taylor's going to slip on that, I don't know, smash his face off it, and dislocate his shoulder. Uh, I think Alan Kerr said he's going to. Who's he going to injure himself uh, getting on the plane? Put, put his hip out climbing the steps of the plane, and then Sandy. Uh, but, Sandy said uh, injured tiny's laces. Uh, what about um, eating, ordering some fugu? Fugu, yeah. <laughs> Banda, strong Banda Scotch should, reference. They should definitely all play that, just to certainly all the yeah. injury prone ones. Yeah, some people, session. some people think that that was a joke game, but actually, it's uh, you know, it's 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 supposed to be preparatory work for the for the squad yeah. before going to Japan. It's a very very it's strong message. Developed there. in conjunction with the Scottish rugby strength and conditioning. Yeah, and, uh, psychological yeah. It's free to it's fr- exactly it's free to use if they want if they want to make use of that they're free to do so. Uh, if you haven't played Banda Scotch yet, then then go to the website uh, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Have a look. We've got our own free playable game where you're the cultural attaché to Scotland, 
and you have to um, navigate a series of obstacles and challenges to try and uh, get Scotland to World Cup glory. Um, many have tried, many have failed, a few have succeeded, uh, but it's, it's quite a lot of fun. Um, I have him um, being uh, catching measles from uh, Godzilla. <laughs> uh, what about you, Rory? What, what ridiculous way is Duncan Taylor going to get injured at the World Cup? Um, it could be close to monsoon season, so I'm going for a lightning strike on that here. <laughs> <laughs> if that hasn't already happened. Yeah, maybe, maybe it does. Um, should we should we look at the backs then? I think that the, the forwards, I suppose we, we, uh, Wilson's arguable. Like you said, that the, you can understand why he's there when you look at the stats. And Kevin's provides quite an interesting one about the sixty five percent. Although, like you said, Rory, it's not it's not so high as to be deter something you would sort of nail your colours to. Um, and 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 Blade Thompson, you know, Townsend's obviously seen something there, and I thought he had a very good game against France at Murrayfield, and and more than justified his place um, on the plane. Um, but the rest are fairly hard to argue with. I would I would say in terms of the backs, then I mean the biggest omission, I suppose, that everyone's up in arms about. Even I see um, Brexit's Andy Good was very upset about this today. It was Rory Hutchinson. Um, but I wonder. I mean, to a certain extent, he was probably given one of the most the most game time out of all the fringe in inverted commas backs. Do, I mean, do, looking back on it, he was. He, I mean, he's, he's certainly shown he can play at this level. But when you look at the centres that have been named, it, was he ever likely to be named? Do you think, Rory, barring injury? Um. Well, no, I don't. I um, I don't think so. I think I think Tooney's just he's. We were all, you know, we joke about the tombola, and then it's all a little bit kind of. Uh, he seems to pluck, pluck them out of the air and stuff. But actually, um, this this one was almost quite quite kind of easy to predict. I mean, you could see the amount of, uh, you know, chances he's given Chris Harris, for example, in in recent recent. Term, um, times he's you know he obviously sees something in Harris that he likes he wants to to give him a chance and you get that sense it's like it's like with Pete Horn keep keeps getting picked yes you know they'll make mistakes or maybe they don't have a great game but he's picking them because there's something that he believes you know they can fill a role and it's not that Hutchison wouldn't go it's just that there seem to be people that Townsend would more likely to pick ahead of them um, Duncan Taylor you know potentially being another one because you know he, he's He's not been shy about admitting in the past what a, what a fan he is of Taylor, even though we've, you know, we haven't seen that much of him in a Scotland shirt, certainly not in the last year or two. Yeah, I mean Graham Douglas on Twitter, Ian, um, and a few I've seen a few people say this elsewhere um, on the forum, and, and I think a few people have said this on Twitter as well. When replied to me is Hutchinson for Horn, and I don't. That's not a straight swap, I don't think. I mean, I know we know Hutchinson can cover both centres, but he's played. From what I remember, he played thirteen all during the warm-ups for Scotland. So it's not. I think if if it was going to be Hutchinson or Horn, then Townsend would have given Hutchinson game time at twelve, wouldn't he? Um, well, possibly, but uh, you know Taylor. Um, you know, if you're going to take two of each, then you could have had uh, Johnson and Taylor. Obviously, we know Taylor can't cover everywhere, but he was used as a twelve. Um, by Townsend in France, uh, and then you could have had Harrison Hutchinson. Um, 
Hutchison as well. <laughs> Although we've I've not seen him at it, it might be peak horn levels of playing ten because <laughs> um, he apparently can play at ten. Um, you know, and and I've not seen a great deal of Hutchison. Um, to be honest, you know, I've, I've seen. I think I've maybe watched one Northampton game where he was playing. Well, according to some people and, and, who get in touch with us on Twitter, and we we should be watching every single Premiership game if we're really interested in rugby. Um, well, BT Sport don't show all of them. But, uh, <laughs> they only show like I, I do have BT Sport, uh, but you know, I've, there's only so many hours a day. I know yeah. some people seem to have a secret Northampton feed that means they've seen every single game that Rory Hutchinson's played. Is it maybe just like when they sleep, it just gets like. Planted in there. Oh, it's like Inception, like I did with uh, Matt Fagerson. That's the only explanation. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah. It's I mean, I don't. It, Horn was always going to go. I think if you look at, I think you're right, Rory. That if you look at Townsend's past squads, he's Horn has always been in there or around and about them, and it, there was no way he wasn't going to Japan, was there? No. Um, again, you know, it's, it's that thing we go back to his experience, but it's also its versatility. Um, he can cover 10, he could play 12, 13, and Duncan Taylor can cover a bunch of positions. I mean, Hutchison did have that going for him. It, it, you know, I think it, I think it must have been pretty close. Um, Harris can cover the wing, in theory, although we haven't seen him do it for Scotland, I don't think, much. Um, um, did, he do against, did he come on against Wales on the wing, I think? Yeah, it's this year. Cup game. I think, yeah, I think he might have yeah. done uh, uh, Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's I think, I think, uh, yeah, I think Hutchison probably wasn't wasn't far away. Um, there might have been a little, you know, if if Tommy Seymour say had not recovered from the head knock, there might have been an argument to say you take him instead of another winger. Um, and I mean, he, yeah, he played uh, he played quite a lot of standoff for the under twenties. Hutchison, um, I mean, he kept uh, Adam Hastings out of the side a few times in the. I remember the, the tournament I watched a few years ago. When he was in in that team, so I mean, he you know he can he can do a he can do a decent job. Obviously, that's under twenties level. It's a different thing doing it at the World Cup. But um, somebody put up a one. Somebody put up a it was a Neil Neil somebody uh, one one of the Neils on on Twitter had has said you know teams are averaging six or seven injuries per World Cup. So it's not over for for a lot of these guys by any means. Um, no, they're, I mean, they're still yeah. Townsend said the same thing on the official podcast that these guys are going to come in and step up I mean you would we might come on to the, we'll come on to the leak I think in Hands in the Rocks a few people have uh, have had it but someone's leaked that squad um, and you would it won't be hard I wouldn't you wouldn't imagine for for them to work out where it's come from and you, it's I think it's going to be someone that's going to be fairly low down the pecking order or someone connected well, with someone low down the pecking order yeah, I mean the the Beeb were reporting that Josh Strauss was in South Africa from the you know from the way that they worded it that suggested he was already back home in South Africa, so he's presumably just right. Well, that'll do. Yeah. Um, Someone with he's not much to lose, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the guys that the guys that um, still have ambitions in and out. I mean, Hutchison's still only twenty three, something like that, same age as yeah. a lot of those, a lot of those uh, younger guys, that sort of generation. And they've got to know. I mean, the Bradburys, the Fergusons, the Hutchinsons are going to know that they are first off the rank coming injury, aren't they? Yeah, and also they've got a good potentially eight to ten years of of Scotland's career left in the in the tank, barring barring injury. So, um, yeah, I, I can't see can't see too many, you know, the likes of them leaking. 
What what are you thinking here then? Stuart McAnally is captain. Maybe a little bit of a surprise, but maybe when you look at it practically speaking, he's he's probably the. It's we don't want an Al Kellogg twenty eleven situation where you select a captain and then don't start him. Yes, yeah, sort of. You know, this, this idea of a club captain, um, like Al Kellogg was at Warriors for a long time, but he was behind Johnny Gray and Nakarawa in the pecking order, really. Um, and that's why I, I said they've probably been McAnally, even though some people have criticised his lack of, or you know, his skills in uh, dealing with the referee, as opposed to Barkley or Laidlaw, who are a bit more nippy, shall we say? Um, <laughs> and you know, Laidlaw, uh, as Gregor Townsend said when he introduced him, he's uh, captain Scotland the most times. Um, so it was a bit of a surprise, but like I said, Barkley looked a wee bit unfit. And with the emergence of Richie, uh, is he guaranteed to start? Um, and it's the same with Laidlaw. If uh, Townsend decides to play Ali Price and then maybe just bring Laidlaw on later on to, to see the game out, Scotland are in a dominant position. Yeah, same for you, Rory. I mean, it, it was interesting yeah. them saying on the official podcast he's captained every single age grade side that he's played for. Yeah, Townsend made that point as well when he was announcing the team, didn't he? So I, I think, think yeah, I it at that point. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, you can yeah you can see it. I mean, uh, Greg was was pretty good on uh, on Saturday there against Georgia. I thought you know when when the ball's available, he will he will play it quick if if you know if it's demanded him. Um, and it was interesting the the difference that 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 made. Uh, but yeah, I, it, it does come down to McAnally is the most likely of the three candidates to, to definitely start. Um, I think it's the sort of it's the sort of um, the style of play is such that if Price does get a chance and is suddenly on a blinder, then you know you you keep him in the keep him in the team uh, because the the kind of the halfback engine are really the, they need to be they need to be cooking cooking gas for for Scotland to play the way they they want to. So if if Greg's going well, then he'll probably I mean he I would imagine he'll probably start the Ireland game. But I think if you know if if he gets injured or if Price or Horn get a chance and they take it well, I think you you could see them. Switch in and not having the pressure of, of Greg being the captain kind of makes makes that job easier for Townsend to to swap that out to get the you know to get the best out of his team. Yeah. So uh, overall, happy with the squad, Ian? Uh, yeah, <laughs> 85 90 percent happy. Um, well, obviously, the one that we picked yesterday was was more to my liking. Um, I think the forwards, well, the the tight five picked themselves. Um, Finn Russell, yeah. Hastings picked themselves. That we knew who the halfback combination were, um, and pretty much the back, um, you know, the outside backs, the back three choices. Um, so it's just those odd, like maybe a player there in the back row and one player in the centre. That's the only thing that I would change. So I think it's a very good squad. Um, probably the best that I've well, maybe since nineteen ninety one. I can't really remember that was only nine. Um, but yeah, the best squad that I can like fully remember um, in my time. Yeah, I mean it's interesting, Rob, thinking about it that that this time last year people were touting Darcy Graham for being in the World Cup squad, and I think we said that's utterly ridiculous. It's definitely not going to happen. But but he's yeah. he was the one that he I, deserves I, it. Yeah, I, I, utterly, and his he's really he's someone that's really seized his chance, not just in these warm ups, but. But ever since Sotvi, I think it was that that Wales game, the Doddy Weir Cup, he, he got his debut. 
yeah, uh, and it's 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 great to see. Um, great to see a, a young guy taking taking his chance. Um, I would say that probably a year or two ago we were looking a little thin on the wing, especially when Tommy was going through his sort of patchy bit of post Lions form. Maitland was injured. Um, since then we've seen you know we've seen Kinghorn come through and then Graham's come through after him. So I'm pretty happy with pretty much any combination you could pick of the the back three. I think Seymour, Maitland, and Hogg will be the the first choices. And um, but you know Graham does make a pretty good a pretty good argument for for starting um, just because he's got that pace and he he's he, you can see he's hungry for it and his his defence was was great. Uh, I thought both he and Maitland pretty, played pretty well against Georgia. Yeah, and, and covered well at fullback, I think, for Ember at the end of the season. So it's yeah. it is, is a good shout for the bench as well, you would think, even if you've got Maitland and Seymour starting. Um, yeah. Any more on the squad, either of you? We Have we have we talked it to death? I mean, we, the, the, we, we'll, we'll touch on the Georgia... I think we'll touch on the Georgia game um, in Hands in the Rucks. We've had a couple of shouts for it. Um, um I've got I've got a minor minor conundrum slash puzzler slash goes back to what we were talking about experience. Just while we've been talking there, I've done some quick maths. Um, maths not my not being my strong suit, but I think I've I picked a picked a rough team. I found one on uh, ten fourteen, which is a great uh, great site posting videos about uh, with rugby analysis and stuff. And they've they've highlighted the average number of caps um, for the World Cup winning five World Cup winning sides was the lowest was forty two. So you're probably mid forties. Um, per, per player, and you know, around roughly around sort of six hundred, six hundred and thirty is the lowest that uh, that a team a team had that on you know on the day of the World Cup final. So I've totted up what looks like our starting fifteen plus added fifteen times four because they're all going to play every game, which is not very scientific. But that gets <laughs> us to aside from that gets us to six hundred and forty caps. Ooh. So in order to be better let's say better not strictly speaking better but um in order to be that would be more than 1999 australia team that and by the way i've only picked 14 i haven't picked an i've got one back row to pick uh, so that's where you have to have to help me right um if like we're not going to get near 996 that new zealand had in 2015 we're probably not going to get near 724 that they had in 2011 but we could um we could get more caps than possibly than the England World Cup winning team, possibly than the South Africans. But it depends who you pick in the back row. I've gone for Barkley and Watson already because I'm basically picking on experience now. If we pick Blade Thompson with one cap, well, he would have five caps by that point. Um, we would go up to 640-something, which wouldn't, wouldn't be very good at all. But if we pick Ryan Wilson, then uh, he's got 44 caps. Hmm. So we would be... We, We'd have more caps there in our starting fifteen than the than the England World Cup winning team, I think. Give or take one. I, We're about the same as them anyway. I say let's to hang with it, let's be the statistical outlier on this. Yeah. <laughs> let's I mean we still we still have more than that more than that Australian team, so we'd true. be we'd be in the in the in the realm of the, the average the right the right sort of ballpark. I mean looking at looking through the team it's a, there's a lot of a lot of caps in the in the forward pack, and there's the, the you know the guys that don't have as many caps. A lot of them are at the back. So yeah, it's interesting to see, but you can see that it's clearly been it's a squad that's been put together with a lot of experience. So it'd actually be quite interesting to see how our um, previous World Cups, you know, I guess the the 15s that went 
if they their quarterfinal knockout games or whatever got knocked out in the quarterfinals and see how many caps they had. But uh, I'm sure somebody can pull that pull that number together. Oh, I'm just thinking uh, last time. That's going to be Kevin Miller. It, it might be, be Kevin Miller. It would be Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. Um, Instead of giving stats to the missile. I yeah, traitor. <laughs> I think. I think having done the review pod with John, where we talked about the 2015 match, the 2015 quarterfinal, and reviewed it, and thinking about who played in that game, I think we would be well below that mark. Because you had Nell, game, yeah. yeah, you had Nell Brown. Uh, I think Gordy Reid started it. I might be wrong with that. Then yeah, Johnny Gray. And he definitely had David Denton in the back row, who'd had a fair. He'd he'd done a World Cup cycle at that point because I think his first cap was after the the twenty eleven World Cup. But then you had the likes of Bennett and Scott. No, Bennett was in the centre. Horn was in the centre. Maitland was on the wing, and he'd had, he'd done a cycle. He'd done a full World Cup cycle because again, I think his. Dunbar Sorry, was injured. I was yeah. there and I said Dunbar. I was like, Dunbar no, he was injured because he missed out, didn't he? Yeah, so I, so I think yes. I think that Australia match, which is kind of what me and John were saying, it's interesting. You look at the World Cup cycle since then, and you would have if if in 2015, you I mean John Hardy was in that team in Blair Count. I mean John Hardy had like five. He's a, in fact he's he's a good he's a prime sort of Blade Thompson candidate, isn't he? Someone yeah. who came in and played a couple of games in the warm ups and then absolutely blitzed the World Cup, despite. Only having like three caps to his name, yeah, and that's that's what you're hoping for. I mean, Blade is 28. He's yep. probably this probably will be his one one and only World Cup. You think? Well, 32. I think I, I was thinking back. I mean, how old is John? John Barkley's 34. He's 32. 32. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So he looks after himself. There's nothing. I think back rows are one of those positions that you can get into your late 30s if you are willing to adapt the way you play. Do you think something's Barclays done? Yes. Stand off to if you're Johnny Sexton. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. So I think the, the, the interesting thing with the 2015 squad is you look at that and you, if in 2015 you'd said only about three of these guys are actually going to be playing for you in the World Cup, but you'll have a better team, you would have said, I don't believe you. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only change you would have made would be Dunbar in at 12. Um yeah, you know, because uh, then Dunbar and Bennett they'd been ripping it up for Glasgow. Then Dunbar got crocked, and then Bennett, uh, I think, his shoulder against Leinster, so we ended up finishing the season with Pete Horn and Richie Vernon in mm. the centres, and uh, won the league. I um, mean, that is one actually, thing. My, one of my mates, my mate Johnny, I'm pretty sure. I can't remember if it was Phil or Johnny. One of one of them said that if we won the Pro Twelve with Vernon and Horn as centres they would get the other person's face tattooed on their calf. And they've still never, whoever it was that said it, they've still never um, you know, just stood up to that bit. Yeah. Which is an outrage. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing that was disappointing was, of course, that Richie Vernon was admitted from the squad this year. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, always always sad to see, even though he's retired. Um, Although, yeah, I did see, uh, who was it? Somebody, one of the, uh, Rugby Dump or somebody put up Ultimate Rugby, I think. Up a question saying which, which current back, which you know, which back row player of plays for your country do you think would be able to cut it in, in the in the backs at international level? And it's just like yeah, Vernon's already already completed that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I've got a final point of order on the squad. Uh, a late one from Alan McDonald, who was who was the one that was in discussion with David Soul about experience, who points out that they were in the 1991 squad. Aside from having two young players, they also had nine lions in the 1991 World Cup squad. So, yeah, um, sure. I think the argument on experiences uh, versus oh, no. form is done. If you're going to have to go and count our lions, we've got. Well, five. let's count. Let's count five. Who've got? Dell. Yep. Yeah. Of course, uh, Del, who one of the most successful lines, 100% record yep, in the scrum. Undefeated. Undefeated. Del, Finn Russell. Finn Russell, yeah. Uh, Tommy Seymour, Sean Maitland, Greg Lidl. Yeah. Five. Yeah. Five lines. So there you oh, go. Oh, and Hogg. And Hogg, six. He's gone, he's gone twice. He's gone Does twice. twice. Yes, he's gone twice, yeah. So, so there you go. Count him twice. Seven. Seven. <laughs> so there you go. Um, so that's the squad. Um, we will move on now. Um, and we're going to talk about the Georgia game later on when we do Hands in the Rock, but, but for the minute, we're going to do this. Well, we looked high and we looked low, we seen Dougie by falling speedos, but I just want to know, did you see the legend that's Dougie Donnelly? Yes, it's Where's Dougie Donnelly. It's a part of the podcast where we ask you to get in touch and tell us who you've seen out and about in terms of players, pundits. Uh, please, no stalking. Uh, thank you. Only only legitimate spots. Don't start following players around. Um, you know who you are. Um, we've had a couple this week. Border Badger got in touch to say he saw Mike Blair and his family in a cafe at the Bergerac Airport waiting for an Ember fright at the end of the international squad break in the summer. He said he didn't want to interrupt the uh, family's quiet time, but he had to stop his wife from uh, saying hello. Uh, and Ian Wallace got in touch, friend of the podcast, to say that he'd seen Daryl Marfo at Murrayfield uh, on Saturday. He said he doesn't know why. <laughs> Daryl Marfo. Daryl Marfo. Daryl Marfo, was he not in this, the Edinburgh squad for the game they played the other day? Did uh, he play? Game. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm sure I saw him listed in the, in the, you know, the 20 replacements. <laughs> We still didn't get on the field. Um, if anybody has knows Daryl Marfo's whereabouts, please let us know. Um, please call. Uh, is it one one for the police? Pray for Daryl. Yeah, pray for Daryl. Um, so that that's that's where's doing Doogie where's Doogie Donnelly? That's a short one this week. Um, we um, we don't think we we've got a fantasy league that's going to be coming uh, up shortly. As soon as um, I think all the squads are announced now, are they? Uh, I think they're probably just about. Just about. about um, I the, think... We've set set the league up. You should, uh, if you played it before, you get an invite. But if not, we'll put a post up uh, yeah. with the, the pin to get in. And all yeah, that sort of thing. I think the official deadline for squads being announced is fri- this Friday. So Super Brew should have everything online. So if you want to start setting your teams yeah. up, we'll, we'll put a, a post up and let you know on the podcast when we've done that. Um, but for now, let us move on and we'll do this. Yes, it's uh, it's everyone's favourite jingle. It's the hands in the rug jingle. It's our any other business section of the podcast where we we sometimes cast our eyes a bit further afield in the world of rugby just to see what has bothered us this week. We've had quite a few shouts on the squad announcement, guys. Um, I can't remember everyone who's brought this up. There's been quite fairly few. I think uh, Kutsi was one that has uh, brought up the the leaks. He said it's been ruined by journalists in in, in uh, quotation marks doing their jobs revealing the only elements of excitement for fans the day before having been reliably informed. He said it kills the romance 
of rapidly refreshing Twitter <laughs> to reveal the teams <laughs> or attending the day. I do kind of feel for people that applied for the tickets to Linlithgow Palace that they kind of had that moment snatched from them. And I know, like you were saying, Ian, it was quite obvious who was going to be in the squad um, when you saw them all lining up behind Gregor Townsend. But you kind of, I don't know that... We, we we had Twitter back in 2015, but I don't think we had leaks in the same way. And Andy Burke from the BBC, I think a couple of people had had a go at him for revealing it on the BBC, and he said, "Look, it's not. There's no. We've not been given any embargo. We've found out about it. And if if they're not, if if a, if you get that as a journalist, if you don't report yeah, yeah, to somebody fine. else, somebody else is going to to. And it's all about getting. It's all about driving traffic to your site at the end of the day. So." Who who's to blame, Ian? Whose fault is all of this? Um, I, I don't know. Um, well, this thing like Andy Burke had just basically confirmed what, uh, as I said at the start of my article, I'd saw it on Rugby Pass. I think yeah. you know, even a lot of the time you can't hundred percent trust these. Well, sometimes even fifty percent trust these things. Um, it was sort of not widely common, but uh, a few people knew about it. And you'd al- we'd already had time to process it, and then you know if Andy Burke is then got it, if he's heard it from a reliable source, I'm pretty sure the BBC aren't that desperate for clicks because it's all funded through TV license anyway. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I do. I wouldn't personally do it if I was in such a position because, I, like you said, you know it does take away a bit of the fun. Um, but whoever it was that leaked it, uh, you suck basically. Um, you know if it was. I don't know if maybe Rory, you were alluding that it might have been Josh Strauss, but he wouldn't know the full no. squads. He, he he would know that he himself wasn't in, but yeah, I don't think it would be a player. Sorry. Yeah, no, I think it would be. Yeah, I think it would be. It'd be a combination of little bits here and there, you know, people's yeah. family or whatever. Saying, I, where, yeah, we I, I can tell because we we've had people contact us in the past with inside information, and it 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 in my experience is never the players. It's about th- th- at least third hand. If someone's told someone who's told someone, but it's reliable enough to know that they know where it's come from in the first place. That you know you can yeah. you can say. It. I think we had one, we've had one proper sort of somebody approaches with a team once, and it was legitimate enough to know that it was genuine. Um, but it, I think I don't think it would genuinely come from the players. I think I can see the Josh Strauss thing. I mean, you would imagine the players have got a WhatsApp group and would be passing messages back and forth as to well yeah. done or, or or what, and might be able to piece the information through together themselves. And you might imagine that if a well-placed call from a journalist to someone saying, are you in, mate? And you catch somebody off guard and they're a bit disgruntled, might just say, oh, no, I didn't get in. Well, who did? Can you tell me? And, oh, well, I might as well tell you because it, no skin of my nose kind of thing. You can kind of see that with 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 a with someone that's maybe more experienced, got less to lose. But I think it's more likely to have come from a friend of a family member who's upset that they're you know someone hasn't got in, and then you get a couple of those, and it's easy to piece together. Yeah, I mean, think uh, who's it? Was it Wales are doing it, allowing the local rugby clubs, you know, the club, the sort of their the feeder clubs that the players are affiliated with to to announce them each you know yeah. each, each one and that, I'm you know, I'm skeptical would central wouldn't it I'm skeptical that they didn't go and film that for the entire squad yeah and then I just mean, piece together the ones that had been selected like shooting yeah. alternative endings 
that yeah, that would be. I suppose that would be the that would be the sensible way to way to do it. Um, did they not say who was some? Did someone not say that? Uh, I don't think it was Gatlin. Maybe it was Schmidt. You know, they find out just by watching it on the telly. So I mean, if you're looking for someone to blame, you could blame Townsend for being nice and telling his players ahead of like who who gets on the bus for. You know, you get them all to turn up at Murrayfield and say, right, we're getting on the bus to Linlithgow and the following. No, yeah. not. <laughs> Sorry for getting you out of bed. I mean, that would be the, the alternative way to, to do it if you just, you know, kept it to the day to let the players know. But then well, that's what that, happens. you can't really do a, a big sort of ceremony where you have them all appearing. You know, you but that's that's what happens with the Lions squads, of course, isn't it? That they, they pretty yeah. much have to bust the game. You know, they had to bust. Then they have to, like, shoot late... Um, Seymour and Hogg across from Scottsdale to Murrayfield for an impromptu press conference that morning because they just found out. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it can it can be done. The Lions, there were um, some leaks, you know, some pretty well-respected journalists boasted absolute bobbins about who had made the squad and who hadn't um, before before that. So, you know, they, yeah, they should be doing. I reckon Gatland was doing fake leaks. So I mean, that's what they should be doing. They should be spreading disinformation. Like the old, um, the old bury a meal thing, where you leak five different lots of false information and see which one comes out into, see which one ends up in Rob Robertson's newspaper. <laughs> Twenty leaks. Hashtag yeah. hashtag find them all. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, the the other hand, a few people are quite upset with the way that the team and now the squad announcement itself went. A lot of people felt it was it was over egged, Ian, and maybe a lot made of it particularly in light of the leaks. Did it, did it go on too long for you? Uh, yes, considering the fact it was absolutely chucking it down. Um, uh, Lee McKenzie brought up uh, Al Kellogg and Chris Patterson and then they were chatting for 10 minutes. And then when he cut to Townsend putting his bit of... This thing, he had it, uh, the team sheet on paper and all the little stats and what have you, and it was absolutely chucking it down and there was no coverage. So it was like, how is this paper not getting soggy? <laughs> but you can see a guy in the background just a few feet away and he was just drenched. Um, and then, you know, because, like I was saying, uh, Townsend wasn't talking fast enough and players were just coming down. He's like, oh, now Ali Price is right behind me. Uh, I better speed up here. Um, yeah, as, considering the conditions, they should really have brought that forward. Yeah. Or, or, you know, sped it along. I did manage to rewatch the 2015 one. It was on on YouTube. Some it was on our site actually to the YouTube link, and and Vern Cotter was not as um, Vern Cotter was very Vern Cotter about it. In that it just looked incredibly uncomfortable and literally just read out the names. <laughs> and then... I mean, that, that's the thing. You've got they've got uh, they've got Lee McKenzie there to be a compare, so then they get Gregor Townsend to be a compare, and you know, it, it's the yeah Simon Bergen, the fittest prop in the world. <laughs> some of it is probably just him sledging the players because a lot of them, you know, he has a pretty good relationship with them. But um, there's a new t-shirt idea, isn't it? Fittest prop in the world, TM. Yeah, yeah, boom. That'll be on the site tomorrow. That'll be available by the end of the week, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, Don't get any ideas, do you love? Yeah. So that was that was it. So so yeah, le- leaky squad announcements and and the squad announcement itself probably over egg, particularly given that it had already been leaked to high heaven by that point, and and the leaks coming down from the heavens. Um, Ian, what what's your hands in the ruck this week? Uh, well, we sort of briefly mentioned them earlier. Uh, good old fun uncle Augustine Pichot and him mouthing off about uh, Devon Toner. Uh, David, David, David Toner, as he called him originally. 
<laughs> oh yes, yeah, just you know. um, yeah. Uh, well, obviously he's um, you know English isn't his first language, but I feel sorry for him. You know, and that uh, you know he should be asking World Rugby why he's not being selected. Why don't you ask him, Augustine? There's your sort of you know you're high up in the the echelons of power. There, it's your cohorts and employers' decision. If you want to, you know, why don't you answer him? You know, he, he's obviously Devon Toner's a professional. He understands Joe Schmidt's reasoning. You know, he's obviously going to be gutted at it. He's 33. He's not going to make another one. You'd imagine. Um, but I was just Augustine Peachel mouthing off again, trying to like, you know, trying to think he's the the punk, the punk rebel that's in the the blazers of world rugby, and it's just I think it's kind of pathetic to be honest. You know, the rules are the rules that set. If Joe Schmidt wants to pick uh, Sean Klein uh, over Devon Toner, then he's fully justified in doing so, and Peachel should keep his nose out of it. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is where he said, "If I was David Toner." he said originally, uh, I would be asking World Rugby some questions. And what are those questions? Why did they choose Gene Klein over me? Because he can, because that's how eligibility rules work out. Okay, thank you, goodbye. And that's that's pretty much how that call to World Rugby would go. Right, if, if, he was, if he was Devin Toner, he would be... Is he, is he allowed to be Devin Toner and be Gus Pichot at the same time? Because the person that Gus Pichot should ask about it would be himself. Yeah. So, what's he... This is like... This is like the these idiots who bang on about the elites when they're in the elite, just because, <laughs> it, you know. Well, I think we've said before that Gus Pichot is, uh, despite presenting himself as a man, as a man of, of the of the world rugby people, is in, in effect just world rugby's Nigel Farage. Or, yeah, he's like the, J- the Jacob Reek smog of, of rugby. Yeah, <laughs> constantly saying, it's, it's ridiculous all these rules these elites make up whilst being in government. It's yes. just, yeah. And all the while secretly hiding... Is Argentinian players in offshore accounts? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wasn't didn't I mean I can't I'm googling this now because I can't remember. Didn't wasn't it Gus Pichot that pushed for the five years? Yeah, yep, yeah, that was his his thing. Yeah. So what what's what's his point? I don't know. Has, has Klein sneaked in under three years or five years? Because there were some that were I suppose that were sort of sneaked in. There was a few, yeah. I think it was, was it not the last World Cup cycle? Um, Well, if it's, if Ollie Kebble's eligible then uh, next year, then it would be, I think it came in, I can't remember if it was at the turn of the year or I think it was the turn of the year 2017, maybe. So Kebble would possibly be eligible for the Six Nations. I think Kebble and Gibbons would be, I'm not sure. No, Gibbons was caught by the five years because he came in just after the Lions. Um, oh yeah, good point actually. Yeah. World rugby. So they were reviewing it in twenty six October twenty sixteen. They were reviewing it. So it must have come in shortly after that. So if it's coming, yeah. say it comes in in twenty. So it's twenty sixteen. So say it came in twenty seventeen. Then, would Jean? No, then Jean Clean. It must be the five year residency rule. I don't know anything from Munster, to be honest. Yeah, it was twenty. Se- it, it was it was um, July. I'm looking at it now. Um, it was tw- definitely 2017. Um, May 2017. There you go. It was brought in. So it can't be Jean Klein. Klein must have been at Munster for five years. Yeah, interesting. 
Uh, or no, unless oh, if he was already, there, if if he'd he was, already signed your contract. Yeah, if he, if he was, but there, that's right. Which is why, because Gibbon signed in 2017, but he signed after the Lions tour, didn't he? Or during the Lions tour, which was after the May. So if Jean Klein moved before, it might be three years, but still, it's that you know. Well, what's what questions are they asking of World Rugby? And it just be the answer is always it's the rules. And I don't. You're yeah. not going to get better than what the current rules say because five years is normally the standard that you apply to anyone who is then going to apply for citizenship of a country they've lived in. And that's a pretty big commitment. So the only thing you could really do is say that you actually have to apply. For, if you're going to... The only extra layer you could put on that is to say, if you're going to do it by residence, that that, that you actually somehow apply for official citizenship of that country. That, that seems like quite a faff. It would, also, yeah. a, a very large commitment. Exactly. It's daft. The best of what we have now is the best. Is the best you're going to get, and I don't really see how you can change it to make it better. And that would have been the good example is the one, the article we had on the site this week of uh, Mark, who is from North Berwick originally, who moved to Bolivia uh, some years ago. I think it's 2003. He might have moved there. Certainly 2007, and has sort of you know been really involved in setting up rugby union in Bolivia, and has now has aspirations of playing for the international side and getting an international side going. And you think it it works both. I don't think Gus Pichot appreciates that it works both ways. Um, that that people from tier one nations can move to tier three, tier four nations and have yeah, quite I mean, a big impact. If you look at um, you know uh, say the Jamaican World Cup team or whatever, um, back in the late nineties, you had a lot of guys who were born in England but had uh, you know parents from the Windrush generation or ancestors from there and they got to play at a World Cup. Yeah. Um, against Argentina and what have you. And you even look at the Bennett someone like Tim Visser, I mean Tim Visser, you know, uh, qualified for Scotland on residency and the impact of what because he's he was able to make a name for himself with Scotland he has now effectively moved back to Holland and set up rugby academies and Dutch rugby is going to benefit because Tim Visser was able to play for Scotland yeah so there we go Gus Pichot so take that Augustine Pichot yes in your face <laughs> um Yes, World Rugby's Nigel Farage. I think we've established that before. Um, Rory, while I'm looking through Twitter for some other hands in the ruck, we had a few. Uh, what was your hands in the ruck this week? Um, I've just seen a seen a few seen a few comments on the site which are my which would be my hands in the ruck, but I'm not going to repeat them here. Um, <laughs> mostly, people arguing about you know there's I guess. Um, you know, you can say, well, you need loads of experience, so why is he picked Thompson and Harris who don't have any experience? Or you need loads of form, so why is he picked guys who don't have any form? But at the end of the day, you know, this is probably one of the strongest squads that we've seen going to a World Cup from Scotland, so should we, we should be happy about that. And we should also remember that it's Townsend's squad, so if they crash and burn catastrophically, then, you know, he's going to have to sign a non-disclosure agreement and move to France. Um, <laughs> you know, he's going to live or, live or die by that. Uh, live or die by that. So um, let's let's all be cheerful. I know it was raining in Linlithgow, but uh, the sun will come out soon, maybe. Maybe to maybe tomorrow the, in the maybe land tomorrow. of the, in the land of the rising sun. Um, my my hands in the ruck, which is why we haven't. Oh, 
Yo, go go I, on, Rui. I, I've thought of one. My hands in the ruck is the fact that he didn't pick Hugh Jones, which meant I had to redesign my T-shirt <laughs> at the very last minute that I've been working on for weeks. Yes, that's that's a very special... All will be revealed. Oh, are, we, are we revealing it now? Because this isn't... No. People aren't well, listening to us to, till tomorrow morning. Can we reveal it now or are we going to wait? We, well, possibly. I mean, it, by now it will be tomorrow morning. So good morning. Good morning. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll try we'll try and get it up by the time we we put this up. Yeah. Look look keep 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 on uh, let's just say lunchtime tomorrow, something very special. Yeah. Will become we'll we'll aim for lunchtime tomorrow. Something a very, very special new bit of merch and a very, very special video that will literally have you crying tears. Yeah. So Hanky's <laughs> at the ready. You've had your warning. Um tomorrow lunchtime. Yes. Keep an eye on our and summer blockbuster voice of September fourth. September fourth on Twitter. No, they just say September four now. Do they? Oh, that's yeah. Really, yeah. That's September four, twenty nineteen. That's ridiculous. Like, the, like everyone says on on debut now on on Twitter as well. Oh. Even in like the official worst like the worst rugby union and the, somebody scored a try on debut. Oh. And I always want to just go in and go on on his debut. <laughs> it sounds like it sound it makes them sound like there's some sort of southern bell at a debutante's ball. <laughs> He was on his debut. Yes. It's like fanning information to society. <laughs> exactly, fanning I'm themselves fanning. in a large in a large boned dress onto the field. <laughs> um, yes. Um, speaking of Georgia and the Deep South, um, let's talk about the Georgia match. My, this is my hands in the ruck. There's been such a clamour, especially with the what about down south in England, and any time that Scotland or Italy do badly, it's kick them out of the Six Nations, they're terrible. Um, let's look at Georgia. Georgia are chomping at the bit to get into the Six Nations. Let's let them in and let them have a crack at it. And Saturday, a fair play to the Georgians. Do you know, they they, they they are a very good side. They're very solid, decent side. They scrummaged well. They gave us a fair, a, a good challenge in the scrum. Bush, and here's the big Bush, they're nowhere near ready for not not just at a rugby level because at a rugby level Scotland quite and not even a first choice Scotland team quite easily beat them away from home, but this was the first time a tier one nation have gone to Georgia and we're told that Georgian rugby sell out their stadium every single game, and that stadium was did they eh? yeah that stadium was was empty. Do you know, there were plenty of people there. I think there was. I think they said they, they sold two thirds of the stadium, but I'm not sure from the. T- it's hard to tell because when you look at their empty stadium, the way they paint the seats, it makes it look like there's loads of people yeah, in it. They've done that clever thing that they do in places like that, where you, yeah, every second seat is a different color, so it looks. Busy. It looks, yeah, it's not busy, and it wasn't busy. And I think that yeah. I think it comes down to the fact that whenever it sells out and everyone goes, oh, look amazing. George have sold out the stadium again. It's like, yeah, because they're playing Romania. That's like saying, oh, look, it's amazing. Scotland have sold out Murrayfield. They're playing England. Of course you're going to sell your stadium out when you play your nearest rival. Um, but, the, you know, on based on the standard of rugby and, and also commercially, the if you can't fill your stadium up out for what is supposed to be a historic you know, first visit of a, of a Tier 1 nation, you you're going to struggle to fill it out in the Six Nations because you you got you've got to take the fact that for the first few years you're going to take absolute spankings, um, unless of course we're talking about Italy, Scotland, um, and the less said about Italy's introduction to the Six Nations and how that went down in Scotland, the better. Um, but I don't I don't think that I I think that probably needs to be an end to 
the uh, the argument for admission for Georgia for a few years, isn't it, Ian? Yeah, well, you know, if Augustine wants a worthwhile cause to fight for, he's maybe <laughs> trying to improve the uh, the standard of the second tier, or you know, make sure that or rugby support them properly so that they can um, get competitive. Yeah. So I'm just digging in them all night. <laughs> uh, but you see, see now they've, they've picked um, Gorgodzi, they've brought him out of retirement, so he's going to turn they? up on Mario Field and, and do horrible things to players that we don't want horrible things done to. So I hope Townsend's if he touches Sam Johnson or Fun Russell, I will take him on myself. <laughs> I think that they should just not play there. Yes. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Particularly Sam Johnson, he's... Um, He's not quite Duncan Taylor levels of injury prone, but he's, he frequently, frequently mm. uh, befalls. A hundred. I, I did when they did announce that. I heard a hundred, hundred headline subreddits cry out in joy that they were able to get their Godzilla go Godzi uh, headline <laughs> in at some point during the World Cup. There will be people photoshopping as we speak frantically. Get on your uh, Google uh, God, Godzilla by Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> Have that. That should be. It. That would be his ring to him. Yeah. Um, the other. Um, no, you go ahead, Reen. I said that's his walk-on music. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they should have. You know what they should do at Murrayfield. If if you if, if you're the uh, ends people at Murrayfield, is just hopefully they name him on the bench, and then about fifty minutes in, just the lights go dark, the smoke comes in, and he comes into the entrance music. That they have for like some like Steve McMahon, Vince McMahon or something like that. He strides on to the pitch, just like do 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 do. Spotlights everywhere, fireworks. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, the other the other slight hands that like a few people have had, and I would also point is uh, Premier Sports, who were utter, I know they had a foreign feed, but you tune in and they had the Georgian team up and just silence. For a good twenty minutes, I don't know if Rory Hamilton was on the on the loo. But you would have thought that Chris Chris Patterson and um, Al Kelo could have filled a little bit. But there was just silence for the first ten minutes, and an image of the Scot of the Georgian side, and then it just it kept dropping out. And I think you said Rory that the last five minutes isn't on the Premier player. Yeah, I, I watched it on demand. I didn't actually see the end of the game because um, there was yeah the first four minutes was the end of the football that had been on before it or something. Yeah, I don't know. It was maybe running late or. They just didn't start their clock at the right time, and the yeah, the end of the end of the game was missing. So I had to pick my squad, not knowing if there was any catastrophic injuries right at the end of the game. Yeah, so it's just yeah, we you know I don't I don't want to be jiffy about this. how many subscribers have you got? Tell us, tell us now. But you know, do better. You know, we're all pay, people are paying money for it. You've got to do better than just sort of having three guys sat in a studio in Edinburgh commentating on a foreign feed. And, you know, and not doing it properly, leaving silence and cutting out at the end. See, I, I watched it on demand later on Saturday, um, seeing as I was busy, of course. Um, uh, and like, I kept, I just kept on jumping. Yeah. Uh, you know, even if I paused it for a few minutes, went and made dinner, came back, um, it got, up, it seemed to have buffered up a bit. Uh, but then about an hour, uh, it just completely stopped working. So I had to yeah. refresh it. Skip forward. I did actually catch the, the last five minutes. I don't know when you tried to watch it, Rory, but um, I did get the, the full eighty minutes of play. Um, but you know, getting there was a bit of a bit of a chore. I think Graham Love ended up watching it on the Georgian Rugby Facebook page. Yeah, I think a few people did. Um, a few people said that on the forum when I caught up with it uh, afterwards. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, if you are with Premier Sports and you want to sign up for the rest of the year, uh, best thing to do is do what I did, threaten to cancel, and then you get four months at three ninety nine, or cancel altogether and re-sign up for the year of £49, which they're currently offering at the moment. Yeah. That also works with Now TV as well. Does it? <laughs> well, they'll, give you, they'll give you three months for half price or something. Yeah, so it's three weeks after I um, went for a... I cancelled my DD and went for an annual subscription of £89. So thanks, Premier Sports. <laughs> yes. Like anyway, tax. we give you everything here. Yeah. yeah, have we got any more for any more? Oh, um, but uh, my mate Andy's hot take on the Richie, but uh, Neil, this is actually in the direct response with Neil when he picked a, a fifteen of Scotland players who hadn't made it, and uh, he was, he said Richie Gray wasn't getting picked because Townsend doesn't like him, even though mm. the official line is that um, he's um, you know do, doing it for family purposes, since he's just had a a child recently um, but my mate Andy he's wondered if uh, that Toulouse have maybe leaned on him because I've checked this out Richie Gray's contract expires at the end of this season mm. um, and, uh, the f- some French uh, owners uh, July, for example um, they've been accused of leaning on players before and also when you consider um, you, you might think this is tinfoil hat stuff but uh, Namari Nadolo and Timoki Nasuga both retired from playing for Fiji and their contracts are up as well. And, you know, it's like, why would you not want... Richie Gray's 30 years old now. Yeah. He's probably not going to get another chance to play at a World Cup. I think so. it's interesting because you, you, you raised this in the private chat and I was thinking about this today and I'm not even sure it needs to be as blatant as that. And I was listening to Blood Mud earlier today and they kind of raised this and I think... I would be surprised if this just didn't enter into Richie Gray's thinking anyway. You know, you've had a long time off with injury. The club, you've got, you're with a club that have been very good to you. You're being asked to go and basically hold tackle bags with no promise of going to a World Cup. You've just had a young child. Yeah. You, you, you're on in the last year of your contract. I don't think it, it would take anybody making explicit threats or leaning on you for you to think, I, I could probably do with just a good run of games with my club because I've not got many years left of playing rugby and I need to earn some money, I don't think you necessarily need anybody leaning on you to persuade you to do that. I know, but I think, you know, like I said, it's, it's his last chance to represent your country on the biggest stage. Not only that, you would be playing with your brother. And, yeah. You know, he's... But he's been, I mean, you, know, wonder, you wonder how much, you know, he's been off... In, because of in, Purely because of injuries, he's been out of the scene for a while and you you wonder how much that plays into it in that you know of absence if you're not in and around regularly in and around the squad do you just think well do you know is well, it surely a- you'd be chomping at the bit look, look, look at Duncan Taylor um, he's never turned down a, a an invitation no. <laughs> but he's he's accepted it and then he got injured in training no but I mean having having I would I think having having a young child probably does have a big impact I think it probably it would probably focus the mind rugby wise when you and, and probably focus the mind on what a short career it is that's the only thing I have so I, yeah, I think I, mean, I think there's an element of what you say is probably right Ian but I don't think you would have to lean on Richie Gray that much Andy, Andy, sorry. The point that Andy makes, I don't think, I don't think they would have to necessarily say that much to Richie Gray because I think it would be kind. It would have already entered his head that he was in the last year of his contract and he needs, and he, you know, he's on, he's got a limited amount of time left to earn, and he's got yeah. a young family. Yeah, I was listening to the uh, to the rug, 
rugby pod the other day and um, Jim Hamilton was, you know, he'd been messaging him and from what he was reading out, the the impression he got that, you know, they, were, they weren't, he didn't go into a lot of detail. Obviously, he was quite sort of uh, short with him, but maybe that's just because he thinks Big Jim's a, a loon. Um, I don't know. But uh, yeah, you didn't you, you didn't get the sense there that uh, that he'd been leaned on. It seemed more that he didn't fancy you know what he'd been offered. Was yeah. the sense I got from, from Given. this and that. But then again, that's you know third. third it's quite quite impressive they managed to get some content in the podcast that wasn't just making knob jokes. To be honest, <laughs> I was about to say I only listened to Hamilton those. mentioned the size of him uh, at any stage because that's uh, he didn't. That's his, that's his thing. Yeah. No, yeah. he did. He didn't. He did not. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I do. I mean, I think on the other hand, I like Davies. Um, I like the idea of a French owner of, uh, walking up to Richie and going, "He goes, nice, <laughs> nice, nice wee baby you've got there. Shame if anything happened to him <laughs> <laughs> while you were in Japan, Richie." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, such as such as the uh, you know the wonderful evil Bond villain esqueness of all French rugby club owners. They all have secret layers at the base of volcanoes, every single one of them. And twirly moustaches. Yes, exactly. <laughs> all start stroking cats, white cats on their laps while they can negotiate what contracts. I, what I could have put in the news, uh, talking of twirly moustaches, new Glasgow Warriors top, modelled by Rudy Jackson, Tash is gone. Yeah. What? Devastating. It's all his power's gone. He's probably good. just, uh, he's just gearing up for November. He'll grow another one in a month. Uh, yeah, he looks like he should be in like some indie band. Uh, he's got that windswept hair going on. Um, yeah, as a shared, I think I think the the, the moustache really set off the uh, impression you had of him as as somebody that ran his own gin company. I don't. I think without the moustache, then I don't. I don't buy the authenticity of the gin anymore. Uh, sales are going to plummet. Plummet. No facial hair. You've got to have facial hair if you're going to run a gin. A gin. What gin kind business. of artisanal gin is this? This <laughs> man has no moustache. <laughs> Ryan Grant's got the beard, right? So, you know, ah, it's shocking. Shocking. Better, be, better be well oiled. Yeah. Tommy Seymour's shaved off his beard. I didn't recognise him. Yeah, he's right. Was, I mean, how how offended were you all by the the fact that they all came out in, in different coloured trainers? Mm. That was a bit, I found that a little bit odd that they hadn't asked them to, they hadn't either provided them with trainers just to make it look not, because it just kind of looked like school sports day and everyone <laughs> just brought their own shoes yeah because they can't wear their boots with the, the kit they're, yeah. like the, they're like the kids the kids in the high street with the full kit on I believe there's a, a third word that comes after that yeah, yeah it almost <laughs> looked like they'd, they'd been they'd been told oh you've not got the right stuff go, in, go over there there's a bin of stuff people have left <laughs> put them on and go and have your photo taken surely the SRU are missing a trick here they could have an official casual trainer Supplier to the national exactly. team, yeah, for a photo shoot. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Sarah, as discussed last week, Saracens have an official sleep partner. Yeah, <laughs> could have hush puppies. Official slipper partner. That's what this <laughs> SRU need. They would have been no use today. No, true, very true. An official wellies partner. Uh, if you would like to be the official wellies partner of the SRU, get in touch. We'll happily broker that deal for a small percentage. <laughs> Um, or just some nice wellies. Yeah, exactly. We don't we don't we don't ask for much. Um I think that's probably it for this week. We have yeah. rambled on enough and yeah. by the time by the time we include by the time we include Rob's interview in this, we're gonna be pushing two hours. So we hope Jesus. you've enjoyed this. 
We have hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. I hope we've made it to the end. If you have, congratulations. If you email podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, I will send you your own personalised certificate to say that you survived this podcast. Um, We will be back next week, I think. Yeah, we'll be back next week. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll look at the last Georgia game um, and cover all the horrific injuries that happened therein and all the all the ramifications that caused with all the people that were subsequently had to be called up um when uh, when I got Dun- my accreditation on for that yesterday so we're good good so ian will be at murrayfield covering the game for us we'll have full match report we'll have match player ratings up afterwards uh if if scott rail do their job we might even persuade ian to hang around a little <laughs> bit afterwards and, and do and and pick up some audio from some players as well um but for the moment do not forget to buy our unofficial World Cup song. We will play it again at the end of the podcast. Uh, go to the blog. Our song for Scotland is on there. It's called We Will Still Enjoy the Saki. All money goes to um, the My Name is Doddy Foundation. Uh, sales have been slow, I will be honest. Slow to non-existent. Uh, and I am ashamed of every single one of you. So please buy it. Otherwise, you 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 are stripped of your, your badge of being a Scotland fan. Uh, and you, you're no longer allowed to listen to the podcast so for the moment if you want to listen next week please send me the uh, proof of purchase <laughs> we'll release the <laughs> podcast for the moment it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Rory and Ian goodbye cheerio oh you canny shift the mesh off the ball no you canny shift the mesh off the ball He'll run rings around your crew cause he's a pinball with a two No you can't, he shift the mesh off the ball Singing we're gonna win the World Cup Oh yes we're gonna win the World Cup And even if we can't, he will still enjoy the sake We're gonna win the World Cup Bring back Doogie Dolly on the BBC He's stupendous, he's tremendous, he's the best Gabby Logan, Sonny McLaughlin, no you really cannot knock them But Doogie's so much better than the rest So bring back Doogie Dolly on the BBC His cancellation really was a farce Dan Walker, Jake Ball, no they don't have it at all And you can stick your Inverdale up your one, two, three, four Oh here he comes the famous dancing fin Oh here he comes the famous dancing fin He will throw an old pass and he'll